Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. There's a lot of COVID-19 news this week. San Diego County has declared COVID-19 misinformation a public health crisis. The number of COVID-19 deaths doubled this week, and UC San Diego Health is also seeing a rise in breakthrough cases among its staff. Paul Sisson is the UT's healthcare reporter. So Paul, the death toll doubled this week, reaching 49 on Wednesday. What's going on? Uh, Well, it appears that all these cases that we've seen coming in week after week after week um, are starting to produce some deaths, uh, which is, you know, very sad. I mean, uh, they have a list that they put out once a week. Uh, They used to put it out every day when the pandemic was really going uh, last year. And so you see new deaths added to this list that's over 3,000 long. I've I've started calling it the sad list because by the time I get down to the bottom where the newest deaths are listed in red, uh, I'm very sad. Uh, it's just really a terrible thing to, to see so much um, human misery in one place. Um, and so we saw that there were 49 on this week's uh, report. We should be clear to note that this doesn't mean that 49 people died yesterday. It takes them a long time to actually verify that a, that a death was COVID related. Uh, so many of these deaths track back uh, to weeks in the past. Uh, it's just that they included them in their official tally uh, on Wednesday, 49 more. Uh, that's, that's nearly twice the 25 that, that came out last week. Uh, and uh, I went back and looked week to week. Uh, the week before that was 16, 14, 7. 11, 1, 4, 2, 3. So as you can see, we've had this kind of sudden ramping up on the number of new deaths that are be, being reported every week. Uh, so it just really tells us over time, over the last two months, that uh, that this pandemic is growing more deadly again. Yeah, your story noted that um, four of those 49, I believe, were unvaccinated, but five of those people were also under 40 and didn't have many pre-existing health conditions. They were okay. in their 40s, uh, under 50. Under 50, so in their 40s. Uh, and has that been unusual? Yeah, uh, generally, uh, you know, especially in the first part of the pandemic, you know, most of the uh, fatalities were people age 65 and older. Um, that's for two reasons, really. Uh, you know, your immune system is less strong as you age. Uh, it loses some of its punch as you age. So people who were getting infected with no vaccine and were older, just just by nature of their age, um, had a tougher time fighting it off. Uh, the other thing we know about this disease is that it really hits people with chronic disease really hard. Uh, people with diabetes, people with high blood pressure, uh, other other types of ex- pre-existing health conditions, uh, cancer and what have you. And we know that those diseases are more common in people as they age. So just as a matter of probability, that tells us that older people would be hit harder. Um, Now what we're seeing is a situation where, you know, those people in the older uh, age groups ran out to get vaccinated and did get vaccinated. Um, And we know that the vaccine is really quite good at preventing hospitalization and death. So as a result, now we're seeing the uh, the overall um, cohort of people who are getting the sickest and dying kind of skewing younger um, over time. And so so to see uh, five people in their 40s um, die in one report is, is certainly quite striking. 
uh, and and also uh, you know to see that for only four of the 49 who died in this latest latest report uh, were vaccinated. That means that you know the other uh, 45 of them were unvaccinated. So this is this is kind of underlining that point that uh, the vaccine really does seem to help prevent the worst uh, health consequences uh, of of COVID-19. So in your story, you noted that people are refusing uh, traditional treatments and they're instead asking for ivermectin, a horse, an anti-parasitic horse medicine. Um, Where did this idea come from? And, uh, you know, is there is there any anything to it? Um, You know, there's nothing to it. Um, Well, I mean, science has not done any good studies to really prove exactly what what effect ivermectin has on coronavirus. Um, and until you've done those good solid studies, uh, everything that people say is really just conjecture. Um, you know, it started out from what Dr. Hood here in town told me yesterday, he was a guy that we quoted talking about that patient uh, declining a very effective uh, monoclonal antibody treatment that probably could have helped uh, significantly pre- prevent the chances of of getting hospitalized or death and, and asking for ivermectin. Uh, he said it had its roots in India, actually. Uh, you know, it, it's quite effective at preventing um, worms and other types of parasites. And in places where you might not have a perfectly clean water supply, they do have a human dose that's smaller than they use for animals. Uh, and, and it is prescribed to clear up uh, cases where people have parasites. Um, and so I guess in India, it's actually quite widely uh, used uh, for parasitic infection and a, and a wide uh, proportion of the population is actually uh, pretty regularly on this drug. Um, and so in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, India didn't really have nearly as, as um, wide a spread as other countries did. Um, and people were speculating that this must be because these uh, folks are all on ivermectin uh, well, as we found out, uh, India, um, you know, certainly was not in any way immune to uh, coronavirus. They just got done with uh, one of the, the biggest uh, surges that has been seen in the world. And, you know, many, many, many people are still, still counting how many people died and they may never know. Um, and, uh, and so ivermectin certainly didn't prevent uh, the, the massive surge this year in India. Um, in fact, there were so many cases that it generated this Delta variant that now has spread across the world. Uh, so I guess that's where the where the origins came from. And if India is any example, then it, it sure seems like that there's really no good solid connection uh, between ivermectin and uh, and, and coronavirus uh, prevention. Well, let's talk about UC San Diego Health. They have seen 94, this was in July, 94 of their fully vaccinated workers, uh, you know, get COVID. Why is there a rise in these breakthrough cases? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a mystery, of course, as everything seems to be in healthcare at the moment, as you, as you and I have discussed quite a bit over the last six <laughs> months. Um, you know, they feel like there is some waning immunity in their workforce. If you think back to when the vaccine came out, uh, 
you know, healthcare workers, especially frontline healthcare workers, especially those working in ICUs and ERs and places where you're really encountering a lot of COVID uh, uh, patients uh, were the first to get vaccinated, many of them in late December or early January, maybe into February, but probably by the time February was done, uh, all of the um, kind of most most uh, hands-on healthcare workers with the most direct contact with patients were, were vaccinated. So, uh, so now we're coming up on eight months uh, since those folks were vaccinated and, and, uh, and UCSD has seen this really kind of dramatic surge uh, in the number of, uh, of their fully vaccinated employees who are getting sick uh, and testing positive for coronavirus infection. Uh, I think the number was five of those breakthrough cases in June and 94 in July, if I'm remembering that correctly. And then I think they had, they, I think they said they had another 174 symptomatic cases among um, fully vaccinated uh, healthcare workers in August. So there's been this progression, kind of a, a you know, quite a dramatic rise. Uh, so they feel like some of that has to do uh, with, with just the fact that their vaccine protection is waning. Um, we've seen evidence of, of waning in, in other populations and, and the CDC and the FDA and others right now are considering booster shots uh, for this very reason. They're trying to figure out you know, when booster shots are warranted. Um, there was actually a really important committee meeting in DC earlier this week where, where they looked at all the evidence and said, look, here's the thing guys. Um, well, from what we can see, yeah, people are getting breakthrough cases uh, but they're really not getting very sick. These are mild cases generally in vaccinated people. It's quite rare for somebody to get hospitalized or die uh, if they've been fully vaccinated. And so they're saying, you know, we don't, we're not so sure about broadly giving everybody a booster shot if, if really there's no massive health consequence to getting infected. Um, uh, UCSD and other hospitals are saying, uh, you know, wait a minute, uh, the problem is that we can't Bring these people into work if they test positive and they technically have coronavirus. Yes, we haven't had anybody in our workforce hospitalized. We haven't had anybody die. Uh, they've all been mild cases, but nonetheless, we can't bring them into work and they're out for 10 to 15 days. And and right now, healthcare is just going crazy. They've got an unseasonable amount of uh, of patients coming in for delayed care from last year, uh, and on top of that, a, a coronavirus surge. And they're just saying, you know, we want to give our employees a booster. Uh, right now or very soon, because we think we can get we can make those minor illnesses go away at least for a few months, and and we need that right now. We we need our workforce coming to work. We we don't need more reasons for them to stay home. There are already a lot of them are burning out and not coming in. Yeah, in the story, somebody noted that you know although there are people who are getting booster shots, although they're not qualified for it right now, it's supposed to be just people uh, who are immunocompromised. They actually had a warning about why people shouldn't do this. Will you remind me of that? Sure, sure. Uh, so, I mean, I guess that one of the main uh, issues is really more on the the healthcare side of things. Um, well, I, actually, it's on both sides. Uh, it, you know, as you recall, uh, from the doctor's perspective, uh, you know, they are signing a, an agreement with the government in order to be able to provide COVID vaccination, and um, and so that agreement says you should give two doses this far apart, and and a third dose is not approved. So if you if you break that agreement with the government, it can uh, jeopardize your chances of getting reimbursed for your work. 
uh, also your ability to give future vaccinations and there can be legal implications as well. Uh, you know, you could be held, you could be sued. You, you waive that uh, the, the normal um, legal waive, waiver of liability uh, against lawsuits uh, if, you're, if you're giving vaccines uh, with outside the approved schedule that the government has come up with. Uh, and then from the patient's uh, perspective as well, um, you know, the government uh, has a program uh, that, that gives uh, financial support to anybody who experiences a severe side effect from, a, from, from any kind of vaccine. Um, and you can actually file a claim uh, with, with the FDA and, and get reimbursement for your healthcare costs if, if you have one of these rare side effects. Um, but if you take one of these uh, booster shots uh, outside of the recommended regime, uh, then you don't have that ability apparently to uh, to make that claim and have it easily approved. You know, you might be able to appeal or whatever, but it certainly wouldn't be as easy. So at the same time, UCSD is experiencing these cases within their staff, obviously taking care of you know patients here regionally. There are protesters outside uh, with signs, you know, that say "My body, my choice." People that don't necessarily want these vaccines, which is what it is. But I mean, you're in touch with healthcare professionals all the time. How are they responding to this? Oh, gosh, you know, for a while, they were very angry. Um, the vast majority, I mean, there are some, uh, you know, you do go, you do go to these protests and meet some people who say they're, they're fully licensed nurses and um, don't believe that the vaccine works or believe that it's dangerous, but they, they are in the very slim minority that the vast majority are, are either very angry about this or, you know, very sad about this. Uh, you know, many of these folks have worked a lot of overtime and uh, and literally put their lives at risk uh, during the you know times when vaccines were not available and they were they were you know gowning up and going in these rooms to clear airways and and put people on ventilators and uh, you know treat them in the ER and try to figure out their symptoms and uh, to just have the public turn around like this and and just be so forcefully in your face angry. Um, you know, what we've heard a lot of stories. I had a conversation with a doctor today uh, who, I mean, actually this week, uh, who said, you know, I'm, I'm pulling back from my practice. I can't take saying the same things to patients over and over again and having them tell me I'm lying to them. I, I've been doing it for months now and I just can't I can't take it anymore. I'm going to hit, hit, hit pause on my career. And, uh, you know, this guy's been in medicine for almost 30 years. So, you know, it's a, it's a very um, forceful reaction that some in the healthcare industry are having right now. Um, yeah, so the County Board of Supervisors this week declared uh, misinformation on COVID-19 a public health um, emergency. Uh, what what does that mean? And, you know, what what will the program look like going going forward? Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it doesn't really have a super powerful legal impact. Um, it's more of an acknowledgement from local government that they feel that a lot of what's being said in their own public meetings, uh, where people are saying the pandemic is a hoax, and uh, that the vaccine doesn't work and that people should be taking medications intended for veterinary uh, practice um, 
are actually harming people. Uh, people are getting sick or they're ending up in the hospital or maybe some are dying as a result of, of some of these pieces of in misinformation that are getting shared widely throughout the community. And so, so they're kind of just putting the community on notice that, hey, we feel like this is literally harming public health. And so we're going to put more of our resources towards rebutting uh, some of those arguments that are being made out there. We're going to make a website, we're going to uh, you know, schedule a forum, we're going to do various things to be more forceful in our rebuttal of uh, some of the misinformation that's been floating around out there and then keep surfacing at their, their public meetings. Um, there has been no um, curtailment that, you know, there, there, there was some talk uh, this week that, that this uh, really is a violation of First Amendment rights, uh, that the right to speech uh, is being uh, violated here. This is the government, uh, some, some have said, telling them what they can say. Um, and they've said, you know, no, you're welcome to come in here and say whatever you want at our meetings, as you always have been. In fact, they let them speak for many hours on Tuesday, the, the meeting went until. Yeah, I think it was 15 hours. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, they're saying, we're going to let you keep coming in here and saying whatever you want. We're going to listen and we're not going to go out and we're not going to stop you from saying anything that you want in the public, go ahead and say whatever you want. But when you say things that, uh, that we feel are not true, uh, we're going to try to address that in our own way, in our own forums, on our own website, in our own meetings, what have you. Um, we're not going to curtail, curtail your right to speech, but we're going to be more forceful and using our own voice uh, as the, the public health agency to rebut some of this. I'm not even sure what my question is here, but I guess it surprised me in watching the pandemic unfold and, you know, even news recently, how it's really um, come down on party lines. You know, I mean, even this county vote was three to two, uh, you know, three three Democrats and, and two, uh, you know, three Democrats for this measure, two Republicans against it. I mean, in covering this, do you see the parties coming together at all? I mean, I think, I think what you don't see as usual is the denominator, right? The over 2 million people who have gotten vaccinated and generally are pretty okay with wearing masks and other kind of minor things that they're being asked to do. They don't come to meetings and they don't go out and stand on the street corner and wave signs. Um, and I think those folks are moderates of both parties to some degree. I mean, a lot of the people that you see showing up at these uh, county meetings, a lot of them are not so much the folks that we have seen at some of the Make America Great Again rallies or um, or those types of gatherings around, uh, you know, conservative politics, a lot of them um, are, you know, they appear to be standing at the podium, you know, young mothers with several kids who are um, generally uncomfortable with any, any kind of putting any kind of medication into their bodies and the bodies of their families. Uh, you know, the I'm not sure if they're 100% anti-vaccine, but they're they're certainly uncomfortable with a lot of uh, government-mandated vaccination and preventive medicine. So it's a kind of a strange amalgamation. Of, you know, I think there is some of that conservative politics movement, uh, but I think there's also some of some of that liberal 
kind of politics movement. I think it's either kind of like far right or far left or kind of kind of more polarized portions of the overall political spectrum.